Well, do we need to do some jumping jacks? Anybody want to run in place? Some of you might know that the Greek word for spirit is also the word for wind. Okay, so the spirit is very active this morning. It's not the wind chill factor, it's the spirit chill factor. So there you go. Um, we've been talking the last few weeks about what it looks like to be a successful church. And we've just been asking the question, what is a successful church? And what we've said is that very often in our culture today, we tend to evaluate success by how many people we have. Um, do we have a celebrity pastor? Do we have a nice fancy building? Stuff like that. And what we said is that as disciples of Jesus, we evaluate success as a church not by whether or not we have a thousand people, not whether by whether we have a thousand podcast downloads, not whether by the whether or not we have a giant church building with a steeple. We evaluate success as a church family by whether or not we are doing what Jesus has called us to do. Are we accomplishing the mission that Jesus has called us to? And the mission that he's called us to is to be a family of disciples making disciples. If I turn this way, I'm going to shield the wind. <laughs> I'm going to speak to the people over here <laughs> um, who look very warm. I'm jealous of that fire over there. <laughs> um, where was I? Disciples making disciples. And what we said is that in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, he doesn't just tell us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be a family of disciples making disciples. He tells us how we're supposed to do it. He says that you do that, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. He says you do that by, first of all, by baptizing, by welcoming people into the family of God through baptism, and then by, um, by teaching, by teaching each other and teaching new people and old people and all people to obey the commandments of, of Jesus. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're, te we're welcoming people into the family of God through baptism, and we're teaching each other how to obey the commandments of Jesus, how to obey our family values, how we do life within this family. And we said from, from the beginning that we have three family values that we're going to be talking about over and over and over again, and we really want to see us live these things out. And as we measure success, to a certain extent, we're measuring success by, are we seeing these family values be evidenced in our church? And they are open Bible, open life, and open faith. Open Bible, open life, and open faith. And what we want to do, what Matt and I are trying to do last week and this week, and then also next week as well, we're trying to give you, we're trying to tell you what the Bible says about these three family values. And we're also trying to give you very practical and specific concrete actions you can take in order to start developing these, these family values and help the people around you develop these family values too. And we, so last week, Matt talked about open Bible and he said that we wanna be people who are prophets, not parrots, we want all of the great resources that are out there, the devotions, the commentaries, the sermons, all this type of stuff. We want this to supplement rather than replace our own personal Bible study, right? And Matt said he challenged us all to start learning to study the Bible inductively by learning to observe, interpret, and apply the Bible. 
right? And we're going to talk about open life this week. But one thing I really want to kind of zero in on just real quick before we jump into to Matthew chapter 12 and open life is that the most practical action step that we're going to give you for this whole series, if you only kind of take one thing away from this whole series, let it be this, that we are having a, especially when we think about the open faith, we're being a light to the people around us. We are having a we're calling it a gospel conversations workshop, a gospel conversations workshop, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after on November 21st. And it's going to be right after church from noon to 3 p.m. Lunch will be provided. Child care will not be provided. It will be at Matt and Jill Shade's house, so it will not be outside if it's windy like this. And we're just going to talk about how can we have spiritual conversations with the people around us? What does it look like for us to talk, to not just keep our, our faith, you know, private to ourselves? What does it look like to talk to our coworkers, to our unsaved family members, to our neighbors about our relationship with Jesus? If you want to be a part of this, there's going to be some pre-work. We're, we're taking this really seriously. We really want to train you and equip you, not just kind of tell you some things, but really give you some hands-on practical equipping. There's going to be some pre-work. So if you would, um, go into the Church Center app, or it was on the e-news as well. There's a, a link you can use to register for the Gospel Conversations workshop. And in that same link, you can also download the pre-work. And what it is, it, it walks you through how to, how to kind of organize and articulate your own faith story. And then on the 21st, when we meet, we're going to get real practical about how to do that, how to take advantage of the opportunities that we have in everyday life to live life with an open faith, okay? So today we're talking about open life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Here comes the Spirit again. Matthew chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, verse 46. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. In this passage, Jesus is preaching and teaching, and he's healing, and turn this way again. Uh, once again, jealous of the fire. Um, Jesus is preaching and he's teaching. And he's gathering a big crowd, and we know from some of the other gospel passages that Jesus's family—they thought he was—they thought he was crazy. <laughs> I mean, here, here's you know Jesus, little Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, who now he's going around, you know, saying that he's the the king and that he can forgive sins and that he's claiming he can heal people and cast out demons, and his family. You know, they're thinking what, you know, what, what I would probably think if my, if my daughters said that they could do those things. They're like, man, who, something's going wrong. We, we've got we've to put a stop to this. And so Jesus is in the middle of, of preaching and teaching in a, inside a home. And they're going to try to come and get him and take him home before he makes even a bigger fool out of himself, basically. And this is the scene that kind of unfolds in Matthew chapter 12 verse 46. So he's inside and he's, he's preaching and he's teaching. And he says, and it, what happens is it says, 
while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers, they stood outside and they were asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Okay, two things I want to point out about this passage. So first of all, we see that Jesus is prioritizing time with his disciples, right? That he's prioritizing time with his disciples even over time with his flesh and blood family. Okay, he's prioritizing time with his disciples. But second of all, look at what Jesus says when he describes why he, when he, when he describes his relationship with his disciples. He doesn't just say, I'm sorry, we've got too much work to do right now. I don't have time for family. That's not what he says, is it? He says, you want to talk about family? This is my family. My disciples, my disciples, people who are doing the will of my father who is in heaven. That's not just a club, that's a family. Right? And so as we think about the open life value, we want to live life with an open life. The foundation for this is that God is calling us as a church. He's calling us to not, be, not just be a club, to not just be an event. He's calling us to be a family. And I think sometimes, and I've said this before, some of you might have heard me say this before, that I think some of the reason that sometimes we're not super excited about our faith is because you don't realize that you haven't, when we trust Jesus, you haven't just been saved, you've been adopted. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says that for those who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to not just have a get out of hell free card, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. We're God's children. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2 and many other places, when Paul talks about the church, he says that we have become members of the, the household of faith. We're a family. We're a part of the household of faith. We're part of God's family with Jesus as our king slash big brother, right? So the question I want to ask this morning is, are we acting like a family? Are we acting like a family? Are we really living out when we say church family, is that just kind of a, a catchphrase? Does that just sound good? Or is that really what, we're, is that really what we are? Because I think for all of us, and myself included, we have a deep 
desire in our hearts to have that type of intimate family relationship. Some of us have, some of us have that with our, with our family of origin, some of us don't. But we were created not just to go through life and not just to go through our faith alone. We were created to do it with a family. Okay, so are we living life not just as a church club, but as a church family? I want to give you three things. I want to give you three, three ways that we can live together with an open life. Or in other words, that we can live life not just as a church, but as a church family. Okay, the first, the first way to live, to really be a church family instead of just a church club or a church event is to be honest with each other. To be honest with each other. In Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul says that we should, we should bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the what? The law of Christ. That's what, that's what we're trying to do, right? That's the whole point of this discipleship thing. We're trying to teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. What is the law of Christ? He's saying, how do we fulfill the law of Christ? We bear each other's burdens, right? And how can we bear each other's burdens? How can you bear other people's burdens with them if you don't know what burdens they're carrying? How can other people help you bear your burdens if they don't know what burdens that you are carrying? There's a TV show that I was watching a few weeks ago, and some of you might have seen this show too, but there's a, there's a, a character, the main character is this, is this woman, and she's a, she's a wife and a mom, and she's just kind of the, she really, really, really wants to be an awesome wife. She wants to just be the perfect wife. And so she, you know, like she spends tons of time and tons of energy just making the house spotless when her husband gets home making sure the kids are, you know, the kids are well-dressed and well-behaved, and, you know, she counts all of her calories so that, you know, she doesn't put on too much weight and all this type of stuff. And, and when her husband comes home, you know, she's got all her makeup on, and she's all kind of dressed up and fancy and stuff like that. She, she wants so, she, she tries to be the perfect wife. And, and the, the scene, the image that sticks in my mind most vividly is this this scene um, when when they go to bed, and what she does is she so she has all of her makeup on and her hair is all done and stuff like that, and she goes and she puts her pajamas on, okay, but she doesn't really like put she doesn't really get ready for bed, she just kind of puts her pajamas on and she looks like one of those like a model in a magazine or something, 
that they have their pajamas on, but they've still got, you know, they still, they still look like a, like a model or something. You're like, that's not what people look like when they get up from bed. Like kind of one of those, she's got her, her hair still done and her makeup still, you know, caked on and stuff like that. And she's got her, her perfect pajamas and then she gets in bed and, and then she, she waits until her husband, until she can, she hears her husband's breath get deeper she can tell her husband has gone to sleep, and then guess what she does? She gets up, she, she washes off all her makeup, she like puts her face mask on, she puts the cucumbers over her eyes, she like puts the curlers in her hair and all that other you know, stuff that I, I don't know what it all is, and she puts like her real pajamas on, like the, I'm gonna actually sleep in this, not just they're gonna look good pajamas. And then she goes to bed and then she actually goes to sleep. And then she sets her alarm for like five in the morning. And before her husband wakes up, she gets up while it's still dark and she takes the cucumbers off her eyes. She takes her face mask off. She takes off the real pajamas, puts on the, you know, the designer pajamas. She puts all of her makeup back on. She gets all of her hair straightened or curled or whatever. And then she, she, she gets herself looking perfect. And then she gets back into bed. So when he wakes up and, and rolls over and turns and looks at her, he sees this perfect wife. <laughs> so if you had to guess... Is that a healthy marriage or an unhealthy marriage? Laird says healthy, absolutely. <laughs> but don't sometimes, don't we sometimes treat each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ that way? We're so worried, we're so afraid that people are going to see the less attractive parts of our lives that we're so, we're so stressed out about it, we do so much extra work so that people only see us with our, with our makeup on, quote unquote. They only see our, they don't really see what we're struggling with. They only see the version of us that we think is gonna be impressive to them. And if we wanna be a church family, we need to be honest with each other, not just about things that are going well, but about things that are hard. I remember a time when I was, this was about five years ago, and I was struggling with, I was struggling with some pretty severe insomnia. And it was just a really hard time. I had several different health things going on, health issues going on, and I was struggling with insomnia. And man, on some of those nights when I didn't sleep well, or I didn't sleep hardly at all, on a Saturday night, and you got church the next morning, and I would, I would get up, and I would just feel like, I would feel terrible, I feel awful, and I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to go to church, and if I'm being honest, one of the reasons I didn't want to go to church is because I like to be somebody who bears other people's burdens. but it makes me a little bit uncomfortable when I can't be that person. And I knew that in the state that I was in, 
I was not going to be the person. I like to be the one that when I see somebody else having a bad day, I put my arm around him and say, hey, you know, I pray for him and encourage him. I was not, I was in no mood to do that, <laughs> right? I like to be the person that bears other people's burdens, but I'm less comfortable being the person who other people are helping me bear my burdens. But I remember those times when I didn't want to go to church, making a conscious choice. I'm going to go to church, and I know, I mean, I'm, I'm in no frame of mind to focus on a sermon. You know, I'm not, I don't feel like singing, but I need to go to church because I need my brothers and sisters to know what I've been going through because I need them to pray for me. And I would go to church knowing that probably the only thing I'm getting out of church today, I need to tell some people what I've been going through so that they can pray for me, right? And if we want to be a church that's not just the club, but as a family, we need to be honest with each other about the burdens that we're carrying so that we can help bear them with each other. Second of all, we need to love each other. We need to love each other. This might seem obvious, but in the Church Center app, I, I put in the order of worship, I put a, uh, a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. I was meeting with the life group leaders, some of the life group leaders yesterday, and I shared this quote with them. It's one of my favorite quotes about body life, about church family life. It's by uh, a, a, a German pastor and theologian named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And he says, talking about our relationships with each other, in the body of Christ, he says, and this is so good, he says, people that are in love, people that are in love with their vision of community, they end up destroying community. People that are in love with their vision of community end up destroying community. But, People who love the people around them end up creating community wherever they go. He says, people who are in love with their own vision of community, they end up destroying community. But people who, are, people who love the people around them end up creating community wherever they go. Do you see what he's saying there? Very often we would say, oh, I love community. And we have these ideas in our mind about, oh, Christian community is supposed to be like this. In Christian community, I'm supposed to feel blank. Oh, in Christian community, people are supposed to approach me this way. In Christian community, you know, this should never happen. And then what ends up happening is when the people around us, the people in our church, the people in our life group, when they inevitably fail to live up to our expectations about what Christian community, quote unquote, should be, it devastates us. And not only that, we get really, really mad at them because they're destroying our dream of community. And by the way, this works for pretty much any other relationship too, you could say people that are in love with their vision of marriage end up destroying their marriage. But people that love their, their spouse end up creating a healthy marriage. It's kind of like saying, you know, I love marriage. I mean, I hate my wife, 
but I love marriage. Like, no. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you want to have a good marriage, you have to love your wife in the same way. If you want to have healthy community, it starts not by having this kind of lofty, picture-perfect, idealistic view of, oh, this is what Christian community is supposed to look like. It starts with saying, hey, who are the people that are around me? How can I just love the people around me? And when you do that, what you find is the more you love them, the more lovable they become. And the more we try to engineer our own perfect friend group, and I've experienced this in my own life too, the more I try to say, okay, you know, these people are in the same life stage as me. These people have the same, they have the, you know, my sense of humor works with them. People in this group don't offend me. Okay, I finally got my perfect group, right? And then it just implodes. But in the times in my life, whether it's been in China or in America or whatever, when I just look around and I say, hey, who are the people around me? I mean, no matter if they're in the same life stage, you know, if, if my personality meshes with them or, or whatever, let me just love them. And what, what I've found and what I think you'll find too is that, I don't know who that was. Somebody honking at us for the uh, people watching the live stream. What you'll find is that the more you just love the people around you, the more lovable they become and the more you get to experience that sense of community. Well, finally, so he said, first of all, be honest with each other. Second of all, love each other. And thirdly, build community before you need it. Build community before you need it. Look with me real quick at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. In verse 9. This is what it says. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Okay, what does this mean? It means that sometimes we think, you know, some of, some of you might be thinking, you know, I don't really need to be in a life group right now. I don't really need to be in a men's group. I don't really need to be in a women's group. I don't really need an accountability partner. Things are going okay. I mean, work life is so busy. Like, you know, if we've got so much going on and, and, you know, things are fine. So I don't really need, I don't really need that community right now. I'm fine just the way I am. But the truth is, if we wait until the crisis comes, if we wait until we get that cancer diagnosis, if we wait until, you know, you start having that parenting issue, if you wait until the marriage crisis comes, if you wait until you, you absolutely have to have the community before you start to build the community, it's not that it's too late, but it's just, it's just a lot harder. Because there's people that will welcome you in and they'll, you know, they'll, like we want to love on you regardless of the situation, even if it's the first time we met you. But you just don't have that depth of relationship that you can be drawing from. So build community before you need it. Because what you'll find is, you know, sometimes in, in life group, most times in life group, it's not like I show up and, you know, 
like Scott says something that I'm like, oh my gosh, that was just the most earth shattering thing in the world. Or, you know, like, like Lindsay says something to Cameron and like, we just, oh my goodness, just life group just changed our life today. But you're just investing. You're investing and you're investing and you're investing and you're investing. And then when the, when the crisis comes, when you fall, when that burden comes, you have people that are right there that you're used to being honest with and you can share your burdens with each other, right? So if you're not in a life group, you know, in, in Northwest Community Church, we say we're, we're a family of disciples making disciples. The, the environment that we really, if you really wanna experience the church family aspect, if you wanna experience that family side of church, I really encourage you to get in a life group because that's where, that's where we really experience what it means to be a family with fellow disciples of Jesus at our church and, and life group. So I really encourage you to, to think about that. You can talk to me, you can sign up in the Church Center app. If you are in a life group currently, I would just challenge you, are you treating the people in your life group, are you treating them, are you treating them like that lady was treating her husband? Right? Are you letting? Are you just letting people see you with your spiritual makeup on, or are you being honest with them? And are you loving people for who they are instead of what your vision for who you want them to be is? Well, the spirit is working again. Um, so let me pray for us, and then we can, uh, yeah, then we can, we can be, we can be done. Not be done after I pray, but we'll do the the next thing, and then then we'll be done. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you that you have called us not just to be saved, but you have called us to be your children. Thank you that you call us not just your servants, but you call us your brothers and your sisters and your mothers and your fathers Father, thank you that we can be a family. And Lord, I just ask that you would work through the Holy Spirit to make us into a people that really treat each other like family. If there's people here that are bearing burdens by themselves, I pray that you would give them the courage to be honest and vulnerable and open with the people around them. God, if there's people here who are angry at the people around them because they're ruining their dream of what Christian community should be, I pray that you would empower them to love them by to love the people around them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would help us to love each other in such a way that when people look at us, they know that we truly are your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.